Hi, I'm Adam Spencer and welcome to Day One, the podcast that spotlights Australian startups, founders, and the organizations that empower Australian entrepreneurship. We go back to the beginning to tell the story of Australia's most inspiring founders and how they built their companies. You're listening to a special interview series as part of a documentary W2D1 is producing about the history of the Australian startup ecosystem. On the episode today, we have... Hi, I'm Alfred Lowe. I'm one of the co-founders of an alternative protein startup here in Sydney, uh, Harvest Bee. I've been involved with the Australian startup scene for better part of over a decade now, maybe 12 years. Um, a lot of people know me as uh, a venture capitalist. I, was, I used to run Optus's venture capital fund and um, AMP's venture capital fund. Prior to that, I was actually a, a software founder. I've jumped back onto the operator side of things with Harvest B, but better part of 10 years in investing both uh, institutionally and also as an angel investor, a small-time angel investor. What was the motivation or, or thing that pushed you to jump back from the venture capital or investing side of things to become a founder again? I think um, I'm really proud of this, the work that I did as an investor and the um, being part of the what is a very new industry of venture capitalists in this country. Um, for me, it was a, a juncture in my career after I was actually my last role before Harvest B was as a chief investment officer at Cicada Innovations, which is a deep tech incubator. When I left there in 2019, I thought about, could I do more work as an investor or could I jump back in the operator seat to work on something that I really enjoy and really um, I think will have a profound impact to um, the economy and um, I can look back on as uh, being really proud of and given what's happening with climate and sustainability alternative proteins was a, something an area which I thought the skills and experiences that I have been able to gain as an investor would, would really be well placed in doing something in this space that's why I've founded Harvest B. So I'm sure we'll talk more about Harvest B in you know the next half an hour but when would you say you first got involved like what was your first exposure to the australian startup ecosystem <laughs> it's interesting i i um i finished my mba at um agsm in 2004 and i'd, I'd come back from uh, international exchange at nyu at stern business school and i a lot of the people doing mbas they want to go off and join a big consulting firm like bcg or mckinsey's I, um, I really wanted to join the tech scene, um, actually as a VC, but uh, 2004, 2005 wasn't really, you wouldn't call it the heyday of Australian venture capital. Um, it, was, it was a wasteland um, you, you, to, to, to uh, not pull punches. It, it was really a vacant period in the Australian tech scene. We were still reeling from the dot-com uh, blow-up from 2000, uh, 2000-2001, there were very few startups, tech startups that you could really call on. There was so certainly not really any investment scene. And that was probably my first foray into trying to get into the tech scene um, some 15 
odd years ago. I, I started actually, I, instead of getting to a job in VC, I, uh, I got into an, into an operator role in, uh, running a, a climate tech water purification business. When you say you didn't want to, you know, you know, follow that kind of, I guess, traditional path to consulting firm after your MBA and get into the tech scene, why? What attracted you to the tech scene? Well, I think I've, I, I traditionally used to come from big corporate. I, I spent six years at PwC, um, cut my teeth there as a cadet, uh, a chartered accountant by training. I had a lot of clients in the big end of town, but I. I you know, I uh, I think those industries and those firms are really important. But um, I mean, I've always had a real technology bent to to myself. I, I I majored in information systems back in my undergraduate. I've always loved technology. It's come easy for me, and I was naturally seeing the things that are happening overseas in in Silicon Valley, and frustrated that why isn't it happening here? I think trying to get involved, trying to build something here, um, be a, play a small part. I think you need people to start doing things locally for us to build into a community. Um, so I, I mean, I'm fascinated by the speed of things that happen in in tech. Um, the, the I'm a very curious person, and um, I, I think there's a wonderful things that happen. Uh, that are created in, in, in our tech community and our tech ecosystem, generally creating better futures and better better standards of living for everyone. So that's why I wanted to build a career in tech. Mm. I think you said, was it 2004, 2005, um, when you entered the scene and as you, as you described it, this barren wasteland reeling from the 2000, 2001 crash. What, what do you think, was it just that dot-com uh, bust that destroyed the investment scene in the Australian startup ecosystem or I mean it didn't really exist at that point yeah I mean there was I think even the current I guess generation of VCs when they started um, I'm talking about the ones that started in early 2010s they really struggled with the the scar tissue of that period um, there were Australian funds there were Australian institutional investors um, in the tech scene, the Australian tech scene, and the global tech scene. But um, certainly, I think the, the view was that the Australian fund managers from that dot-com period didn't return capital. And there were a lot of front-page disasters that happened in Australian tech. And um, that, that memory was very profound. I mean, the, the impact of that happening. But it was a different time. Australian tech scene was a very, was structurally very different then to what we've built now in this, in this era. Yeah. C- can you name a couple of those front page disasters? Oh, uh, I think LookSmart was, was one that sort of burnt bright and then crashed. Look, I... You can really put on one hand the survivors of that era, the Australian survivors on that era. There were maybe not even on one hand. I mean, a sausage soft software was another one that burnt bright and then, then sort of went, you know, didn't, didn't go anywhere. Uh, I think it, it was the marketplace businesses that did really well. So realestate.com, carsales.com and Seek. Um, they classically 
took what around the world was happening, um, the classifieds businesses, and put them on online. That was happening the world over. And, and they've survived, and they've not just survived, they've, they've gone on to be real pillars for the Australian tech scene. But yeah, I can't really name many after that. There's a, there's a country mile between those winners and, and everyone else. What, what time frame are we in right now? Are we still around the 2005? Yeah. Yeah. What, what do you think happened? Was it just those kind of case studies that people pointed towards to kind of start kicking off venture, the venture capital asset class again, like to really start getting it going? Or was it not until the 2010s when it really started to get going? Yeah, it really, you had a few players uh, pop up and um, total respect to them. But really delivering outperformance numbers, I, I, I don't think um, really any of them did that. Um, and it would be hard pressed for me to say that, for anyone to say that there was a, there's an industry. Um, uh, there wasn't a VC industry in Australia uh, in that period of time. There were, well, there, was, there were a few players around, I think Southern Cross Ventures, Starfish, um, there were a couple of others, but frankly, there weren't that many startups to invest in. So, um, not certainly when you compare it to you know, 2021, it's um, it's unrecognizable. It's so different. 2005. You, you were in Sydney in 2005. Is that right? I was. Yes. Uh, talking about the startup community in general, like if we can, you know, if, if that existed at all, like. Could you see any kind of grassroots kind of movements, community? I mean, at the time I was head deep in in working in the business I was in, uh, which is, as I was mentioning before, is a deep tech company working in uh, water purification technology. Um, I mean, I didn't even think of it as a startup, uh, but it was. There wasn't really community. There were no, certainly you wouldn't read anything in the newspapers about startups or tech. It was something cute. It was not treated seriously. When did you start to notice something resembling a community emerge? Yeah, it's interesting. I think later in that decade, um, started to, to uh, 2008, 9, 10, around then you started to see a change. Um, you know, we'd gone through the GFC at that time. I think whenever there's an economic crisis, it generally happens, it tends to correlate to something happening in tech, an opportunity generally happening in tech. I think around that period of time, we, it, it, it was the advent of the, the you know, iPhone as well. I think that um, changed the game a little bit more. I think mobile networks, ubiquity of, of broadband connectivity, brought change as well it, it, and, uh, and, and what I mean by that I think it, is, it democratized a lot of access distribution of apps price points changed you, you you could be a software developer anywhere and be a hit on the app store and then you know go big uh, you didn't have to be in the valley but I started to see locally in Australia I think there there did start to become a people coming together, community forming. You had um, folks like Phil Moore and Mick Lubinskis at uh, Polonize at the time, being early pioneers, being a startup um, sort of studio. You also had the, the folks at Blue Chili doing their thing and 
you start to see an emergence of people coming together. I remember after leaving that deep tech startup, I, I had a software startup and we I would used to go to these things called jellies. I don't even know if they're still happening around, but it would be people that would often individual folks are working on their own on their own thing or maybe they're a developer contracting out and they would rather than working from home they would go to someone to offer up their office and uh, for the day and you'd hold the jelly there they'd, they'd you'd co-work together then because don't forget at the time there were no co-working spaces and there weren't really co-working spaces until 2011 so i think that was a real point of inflection for our community when we started to have places to come together, physical places to come together regularly. Have you had much exposure to innovation or startup ecosystems in other parts of the world? Um, yeah, I spent a bit of time in America. I spent a lot of time when I was with Optus with Singtel Innovate, um, their corporate venture capital fund. I spent a lot of time in Southeast Asia in the tech scenes, um, in the Philippines, in Indonesia, in Singapore, in Thailand. So yeah, I have I have I've spent a bit of time seeing other other communities. You, you know, drawing on that, is there anything you can point to that makes our ecosystem stand out, like a, a unique difference or a unique advantage? Mm. Uh, all ecosystems are very different. The Australian one, how can I say we're different? We we bring a, a different Australian flavour to it for the good and the bad. The classic Australian, not too serious attitude, she'll be right attitude in the mateship aspect. We, we also suffer from some Australian traits of ours. We're often not ambitious enough. Uh, we're often, we're not classically the best salespeople. We're not like pushy, like you might say the, the Americans are. Not pushy, but you know what I mean, like the salesmanship. We can, we can push harder there. Um, and we sometimes suffer a little bit of um, being safe on our own shores and not pushing out overseas. A bit of the Goldilocks, you know, not too small. Do you have that has, the market's not too small that you have to go out and it's not too big um, either. It's kind of just right. And um, I think that's a, probably a comment on the whole Australian economy. But um, yeah, that, the Australian startup scene is we've been able to develop a real product focus um excellence i think compared to the rest of the world i think we're we we in the in the in the time that you know the 20 years of our ecosystem being around been able to show that we know how to build a great product you can point at atlassian and canva are great examples of that and every 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 ecosystem is a little bit different and they've got those strengths and weaknesses um yeah, talking about weaknesses in present day now, are there any gaps that you um, can see today, like things that you would like to see improved on? Yeah. Yeah, well, there's, there's always gaps. It doesn't matter which market it is. Um, I think the, even if you're in the valley, there's gaps. But I think things that around seed capital that we need to, we could get improve on. We've had a real run on investors, um, I think money being put into the asset class of venture capital, early stage tech investment, which is really great. But I think, um, we, you know, we, we're going from, you think about in 2012, then you, you probably had funds under management less than $100 million, probably even 
under $50 million. And now we're in the billions of dollars in 10 years' time. That's, that's amazing. You know, that's, and that's great. I th- but I think a lot of that uh, capital is highly concentrated now. We've got a few funds that hold most of the funds under management. And there's, there's, there's like an increasing gap between the next tier below. And I think part of a healthy ecosystem is a, is a good spread of risk capital amongst multiple managers. I, I hope that we'll see that happen. I think there's also still challenges that we have with um, deep tech innovations and getting funding uh, in this country. I think getting software investment is much easier these days um, and much better understood by the investor community compared to science and deep tech related and potentially more capital intensive uh, spaces, which are still venture backable, but just not well understood by this, by, you know, by investors. They're just, they're just two examples of, of gaps, I, th- I think. I think we talk a lot about Australian founders needing to level up, be more ambitious. I think the last 10 years we've gone to show that. That's happened. But I think what's probably not often spoken about is the counterpoint. I think we need better investors too. And I say that being a former investor as well from a former investor's perspective. I think there's not enough spoken about, you know, the caliber of investors. How do they get better? How do we create better investors in this country that understand risk, understand spaces? Yeah, I wanted to ask you that. How do we do that? Um, it's a great question. Um, I think I think that takes time to, to build. I think and it takes a, a curious mind. And if you're a, a VC, it should be a, a curious thinker but I think it is um, there's no there's there's no prescription on how to do that I think a lot of it comes with you know experience like doing things I think we're going to get more um, depth in the types of people getting into VC that bring their body of work their body of experience to that role you know at the moment we generally have a we have a generation of generalist investors as opposed to investors which have deep, you know, domain expertise in one particular thing. And that's because the market has been quite, it's been too thin to, to create that depth of subject matter expertise. You know, you, it generally comes over time. You, you, as, as, you, as your market increases, your economy increases, the niches become big enough for, you, for one person to become really good at, to really know something. And I think we're getting to that point with the Australian tech scene where we're not just some cottage industry. We are an ambitious industry with a lot of players and a lot of sophistication. And we're attracting more international people as well to our community, which only accelerates our level of knowledge and sophistication. Um, it's in, you know, I think that's probably the single most thing that will accelerate our ecosystem is how we get more surface area with international founders or investors that will only improve our our um how we do things better do you have any um unpopular opinions about the ecosystem something that you firmly believe but people just aren't aren't on the same page with you about um i have an unpopular opinion which i don't know whether people disagree with it but often unpopular opinions are things that people don't talk about i think one that comes to mind is there are too many deep tech founders that optimize for grants rather than investors. 
I think we we have a, a generation of we've always had really great academics and researchers and deep tech minds in this country. We punch well above our weight in that space, and we talk about how we suffer from not being able to commercialize technology, and it's true, right? And but you know, in my time in deep tech, I've, I've you know I spent over two years at Cicada Innovations. Um, I saw I met a lot of um, entrepreneurial, let's say entrepreneurial, deep tech founders, but you know a lot of them were optimizing for grants rather than investors, and I, I think we really miss a trick there and that's it's a real cultural it'll take some time to change that but um you compare it to other markets around the world where deep tech gets well funded australia really struggles in that respect and i I don't just it's not just the founders side of things i think is a there's still a market failing in the investment side of things to fund these types of these types of opportunities and types of businesses because it's it's not well understood and it goes back to you know the the depth of understanding from the investors side of things, but the risk capital probably isn't there. And there's a market failure where there's a market failure. There's, there's that's where the, the government steps in with with um, their policy. And uh, I feel like grants are are really important for for our tech community. Um, I think the R and D tax incentive is, is is a wonderful and a very important pillar to to what the government does. But yeah, in in terms of deep tech, I think. I see too many founders optimizing for for grants and not being commercial, and um, speaking to the the investment opportunity. What role do you think government should play in the ecosystem? Um, that's a, quite a contentious question. It's one I I can't envy a policymaker and how to do it because you you sort of they get sort of clipped over the year if they do too much or do too little. I think the policy setting needs to be right. Some people say, you know, they need to be at arm's length and really not have much to do with it at all. And, and, and other people kind of congratulate, you know, what they've done. Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a misnomer to say that governments shouldn't get involved. You look at the founding of, you know, tech mecca, the Silicon Valley, that was, there was a lot of government involved in the formation of that sector 50 odd years ago. You look at Israel, and their startup nation, if it wasn't for government policy and their intervention, it wouldn't be what it is today. You know, Singapore's the same, different to Israel, but, you know, they have a tech scene. It's highly, uh, the government gets highly involved. Um, that's not to say it's all good. I think government needs to try things, but it also needs to stop doing things that don't work. And if you're going to adopt a mentality kind of like what startups do, you know, make decisions, try things, find out if they, they experiments, if they fail, stop it. Try something else. If it works, great, keep on doing it, right? I, I think governments and the bureaucracy find it hard to work on that cadence, to be able to admit that something's wrong, but also to change policy quickly. Um, and I think that's part of why there's always friction, because startups move so fast, right? And you know, an individual firm, individual startup moves so fast. Therefore, the community moves so quickly. Um, and you can say that about the Australian startup industry. It's unrecognisable from what it was in 2011 to what it is in 2021 compared to any other sector. You talk about mining, banking, telco. You know, they're all pretty much the same industries. 
but ours is so unrecognizable and you need to move quickly to keep up with it, right? So I think government will always lag and that's part of the challenge. How can they help more? I, I'm a big proponent of, at the core of it is human beings. Startups are the embodiment of the knowledge worker and we need to get the best minds in this country. We need to develop them and we need to bring them in. And I think we have great educational institutions and we develop really great skills. We, it's a big industry, uh, has been a big industry for Australia, education. But we need to bring in more talent. I think that's one thing government could do. Um, it's, again, it's one of those topics which has been politicised, but... I, I wish we would um, really go hard on being a, a brain magnet for, for the best brains in the world. Australia can, has a lot to offer. In your opinion, what needs to happen next to get us to the next, you know, that next tier to keep building this ecosystem? Yeah, I think, I think we're still, we haven't got a full cycle yet, Adam. You know, and what is a full cycle? I, I think... If you, if you say 2011, 12, 13 was the beginning of this cycle, and if you, if you parlay that to a venture fund's 10-year fund life, so at the beginning of the fund, you take the money in from your investors and you invest it, you invest it in startups, they build, they have 10 years or you know, five to 10 years to build something significant, and the, they exit, the company exits through IPO or trade sale, and the money goes back to, uh, returns back to the, the venture fund and that gets re returned back to um, its investors and the cycle goes around again. We're, we're sort of only getting to that, that first end of the cycle now, if you think about it, right? You're talking about the vintages of funds of 2012, 13, like Blackbird, Blackbird's first fund. You're talking about you know, Airtree, 2013, 14, Square Peg around the time, same time. And, and it, it, we've been really blessed. I was gonna say the word lucky, but it definitely is luck, luck involved, but it, it's, it's right time, luck, skill, all of it mixed together. But we, we, th those funds, that vintage, those Australian funds have been bumper funds. They're, they're, they're world class. And that will, that will mean that um, they'll return capital to the LPs, their investors. It's a flywheel. So we hopefully we'll see more capital come back into the market and a different a, a different options to get capital for, for founders. And with with that return of capital, you'll get more confidence and conviction of the asset class, both by angel investors but also institutional investors. Uh, the super funds, endowment funds, that, that this is an asset class that's worth backing. And we're talking about small, tiny allocations from their total assets under management, like well less than a percent, which is still lots of money, right? And that, I mean, not, money doesn't solve everything, certainly doesn't, but it is, a, it is the lifeblood of this industry. And it, 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 will keep, it will keep that flywheel going. And I think... That's why I mean, we haven't sort of seen that cycle finish. I think there's more things that we need to figure out. I think 
our, our share market and how we list companies, where we list our companies. Uh, is something that's not quite solved, resolved yet. Do you, do you list on the ASX? Do you list globally? I think corporate acquisitions hasn't really been resolved yet in Australia. Uh, Australian, I think one thing that's really not well understood is that it's important that not everyone's going to be a, a unicorn, a uh, decacorn. Not everyone's going to listen to NASDAQ. You don't need to, you need, don't need to, to be successful. Um, and we need more exits for founders. And, uh, and if we could sell these, they can exit to local companies. I think that would be super valuable. Uh, but we don't really see much of that. Australian corporates don't really have them in very acquisitive in tech, and I think it's reflective of the Australian stock market, and it's ASX 20. It's, it's very stale, stagnant. There's very few companies in the ASX 20 that are new companies or tech companies. Um, when you compare it to other markets, you know, we're, we're still full of resource companies or, or banks. Uh, I think that's, that's something I think government needs to look at. And I know that the Australian tech community is always going to be pushing to to, to be a bigger part of the Australian economic mix. And uh, hopefully one day we'll see a lot of newcoming startups make that ASX 20. What advice would you give a brand new founder? Um, as a founder, as an entrepreneur, you only have three things to do. Actually, just three things to sell. You have product that you have to sell. You have to find customers. You have stock to sell, equity to sell to investors. So you have to pitch that, pitch to be an attractive investment opportunity for, for investors to buy your stock. And the third thing that you have to sell is vision. And that's to get employees, to get the best people to work for you. If you can simplify how you think as a founder, as an entrepreneur, there's only three things that you have to sell. You're the, you're the number one salesperson. And every day you're selling one of those, well, hopefully all three of those things. Everything you should be doing should be focused around selling those three things. What I'm trying to do here is to tell a story in the most holistic and truthful way possible. I want to catalog the history of the Australian startup ecosystem, keeping in mind now that we want founders, investors, policymakers, academics, people from all corners of this community to hear this story. What's something that you think about constantly or, or that, that, these, that people need to hear from you? Um, I, think, I think there's so much we have to do. We, we need more people involved in the startup ecosystem with the right attitude, the right culture. It's so important that we bring people in, collaborate and, and build businesses and build, build hopefully what will be their legacy, but build it the right way. You know, a good friend of mine who I used to work with, uh, Peter Huynh from Qualgro, said to me many years ago, and I've said that to many people since, like, it's not what you do, but how you do it. It's so important. We can build a, a teching ecosystem, but we do it the wrong way, with the wrong um, culture. And that does happen in certain ecosystems. We build this bad culture. One thing we started, say, at, at, at start, mate, you know, culture eats strategy for, for, for breakfast, right? You know, you have to build it in the right manner. I think we've been so fortunate that we've had really good leaders 
and and trailblazers in our ecosystem that have by and large done it the right way you know inclusive and it's not to say they're perfect we're not perfect but we you know we and, and it's not to say there hasn't been things that have been called out about how our ecosystem the the, the things that were wrong about it and um, how we go about addressing it but I've, I'm very proud of the, the tech ecosystem we have built to date in Australia. And I'm, I'm, I'm super proud that I've been part of it. And I'm, I'm one of a, you know, a chorus of people. And there's more and more people getting involved every day. It's, 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 it's an industry of choice, I'd say, for graduates to go into. And that certainly wasn't the case when I graduated from, from university. And, and that, to me, means that we're doing a good job. We are building an industry from scratch. It doesn't happen often, ever, in any nation. You know, all the industries that we know today in Australia, they've come before us, they've, they've been around. But the tech industry, by and large, wasn't vastly different, and if, if it even, if you can call it existent, prior to you know, this generation, it was very different. And we have this opportunity to, to mold it into one that is the way that we want to work, but also one that's going to hopefully be bigger than mining and resources or, or banking and finance. Hopefully it becomes one of our biggest exports for this country has ever seen. That's why it's vitally important how we, we do things, how we, how we treat each other, um, how we set ambition, how we play, um, how we collaborate. I think those things are, it's nothing with this stuff is written down. There's no formula for it. We have to make, make it up as we go. But it's, it's one of those things if you'd get wrong, it's, it's quite insidious. It, it, it'll be, it can be the death of anything that's good. And um, I think, I think we, we are, we have, we're very lucky to have, have, have um, I feel like the Australian tech scene's in, in, in good hands, but it, it requires a lot of hard work and consistent work. Nothing's for granted, nothing should, nothing should be taken for granted in that respect. But yeah, hopefully we're creating, we're, we're, we're attracting the, the best minds and the most ambitious minds and most curious minds to work on the most audacious problems to solve. and. Australia, oh, and probably the world has to benefit from that because we can bring to life amazing innovations. I hope you enjoyed that interview. More interviews are on the way. Follow the podcast wherever you're listening right now. Stay tuned for more interviews with many, many more amazing people from the Australian startup ecosystem. Thanks for listening and see you next time.